My bucket list is short but sweet. While some people want to swim with dolphins or see silverback gorillas, I've managed to boil my ambitions down to four simple items. To shake hands with Bob Dylan, to eat at a place that does drive through parmigianas, to watch Trump be impeached, and to see a good modern production of Lerner and Lowe's 1956 Broadway hit, My Fair Lady. And now, thanks to the efforts of Opera Australia, as well as Palmy Banded in Geelong, I can relinquish two of those lifelong dreams. From the moment I first saw George Bernard Shaw's Pygmalion back in Year 12, on which My Fair Lady is based, I have held significant adoration for both the play and the songs that were inserted 40 years later, which tells the amusing tale of a pair of eccentric speech experts trying to elevate a poor flower girl to aristocracy by teaching her how to speak correctly. The bubbly wit, the light-handed social commentary and the sheer tunefulness of the score meant that I've always deemed My Fair Lady to inescapably be my favourite musical. Consequently, I approached the new show with more trepidation than anticipation and yet was instead blown away by one of the most impeccable theatre performances I've seen in a long time. See, a direct adaptation of a classic is a bit like a creme brulee. It has to be done exactly right or the whole thing will fall apart and you'll probably complain about it to your friends on the way home. My Fair Lady seems to know the dangerous track of treads for it replicates the original with almost obsessive faithfulness to the point where they even hired Julie Andrews to direct it and ends up coming away with an unprecedented rendition of one of history's greatest pieces of English literature. It's hard to pinpoint what is so amazing about this version of My Fair Lady without simply stating the things that made the original so prominent. Perhaps it's because this version is just so tight, which is no small feat for a three and a half hour production. Not a line is added or changed from Pygmalion, nor are the songs extended or revamped in any way, or even changed from one key to another. This proves that the writers have clearly prioritised the need to provide a seamless transfer of the classic story over the desire to show off their own smug talent, something that they should be seriously commended for. Direction, too, manages to pull off some pretty magnificent moments while still respecting the authentic boundaries of an Edwardian-era play. One sticking moment came when Eliza heartily sings Wouldn't It Be Lovely in the opening scene, then watches on mournfully in the later scenes as the later characters sing it, realising she is now too gentrified to truly be allowed someone's head resting on her knee. It was a beautiful, simple moment of parallel that didn't feel the need to conjure anything that wasn't already there. However, the first real credit in this, to be frank, masterpiece must go to the actors. Charles Edwards and Anna O'Byrne were so shockingly good at playing the parts of Henry Higgins and Eliza Doodle that it sometimes felt as if we were watching the opening night on Broadway 61 years ago, particularly as both are tough roles, with strange, specific eccentricities and multiple changes of face, not least of all Eliza's entire ascension from flower girl to lady. Tony Llewellyn-Jones and Mark Vincent also did a stellar job with Colonel Pickering and Freddie, respectively, and Robin Niven's brilliant take on Henry's mother reaffirms her legacy as one of Australia's great dramaturgs. Indeed, seeing her in this role brought back memories of her similar stately character in Upper Middle Bogan, as much as she'd probably detest the comparison. Perhaps the only one who was arguably slightly miscast was Reg Livermore as Alfred Doolittle, whose bumbling ways didn't quite suit the real immoral miscreant. However, even he made sure his dopier style suited the part as closely as possible. The most extraordinary thing about watching a modern production of a 1913 play, though, was how remarkably well the jokes have survived. It goes against every theory about humour and its lifetime that an audience can listen to jokes written, worded and performed exactly as they were 104 years ago in Pygmalion in a totally different era and still laugh just as earnestly and robustly as if they'd been watching a Saturday Night Live sketch written the previous week. Historians and literary experts claim that the works of things like Shakespeare and Dickens and Twain are just as funny now as when they were first penned, but no one actually really loves laughs at those things. And yet here is another piece of equal heritage that had the audience in stitches. Furthermore, this just underlines the immense talent of the cast to be able to bring Edwardian humour into the 21st century unscathed.
Despite modern comics' constant desire to stay fresh and relatable, this is proof that sometimes a well-worded joke can penetrate psyches of listeners for centuries to come. The two most memorable sequences for me were the accompanying dances to Get Me to the Church on Time and uh, Ascot Races, for it was those moments when the show's brilliant diversity in set, costume and action each came to a head at once. The choreography was above average, if not quite as spectacular or bold as other musicals, but then, as I keep saying, it wouldn't have been entirely right for them to be any more than they were. And that seems to be the general theme of this review. The reason why My Fair Lady succeeds with such flying colours is because it rejuvenates and redistributes an already terrific piece of art without trying to outstage it, undermine it or or overdo it. So if you have any reservations about seeing My Fair Lady in order to preserve your nostalgia, put them to bed at once because this show doesn't come around as often as it should and with a little bit of luck you certainly won't be disappointed. My Fair Lady runs at the Regent Theatre until the 29th of July.